Welcome to A Couple of Dusty Muffins. I'm Penny Legate. I'm Julie Blacklow. And Julie, this is going to be, I think, one of our most interesting guests today. It's interesting also that you and I, in the last few months, have been facing death from left, right, up, <laughs> down. And, and center, yeah. And center, yes, with friends, spouses, other people whose husbands are suffering and wives and kids. It I seems like we're in this kind of weird, like, death time. Look, the COVID years haven't, you know, lessened that awareness, for sure. And I think our age is probably part all right, of that. We're in that age group now. We're definitely in that age group. And so, yeah, it's all around us. It's the one thing we all have in common. We're going to an end. There's an end game for everybody. But yes. I'm here to tell you that our guest today, the incomparable, amazing, astonishing Kimberly Clark Sharp, who will give us some inspiration and hope that the end on earth is not necessarily the end. This is a very uplifting, hopeful. Yes. Talk about yes. death. <laughs> Absolutely. We're, we've even found ways to laugh about it. Kimberly is a longtime friend of mine, a clinical licensed social worker, author of an amazing book called After the Light, and we'll post that on our social media platforms. I never used to talk like that, by the way, social media <laughs> platforms. But anyway, she's also the founder and president of IANS, which is the International Association for Near-Death Studies. And I've been fascinated by this for many, many years. Kimberly, welcome to Dusty Muffins. Hey, Kimberly. <laughs> what an honor it is to be talking to you. I know that the subject of death is a grievous subject and can be a scary subject. But I'm telling you, for me anyway, you know, been dead, loving it. It's, it's very different from <laughs> the consensual emotional reaction to the subject. Before I ask you about your near-death experience many years ago, what is the definition of a near-death experience? I will give you my own definition. Mm-hmm. As I will, with anything during our conversation, speak from my own experience, not citing others in the field or outside of the field. But a near-death experience, simply put, is a memory or a collection of memories that occur when our bodies are close to or at uh, lack of cardiac activity, lack of lung activity, what we call death, but not necessarily gone. It depends on many circumstances, but there are U-turns, and the U-turn is the near-death experience, what would surely be final death to coming back. What was your experience? I know you were much younger, still a child, yes, when this no, happened to I, you? I was a college student. Okay. In other words, not very not very mature. <laughs> right, right. Well, there's that. But tell us about your near-death experience. Well, what got me into this field was a complete surprise. It was unexpected. Again, I was pretty young. So the Department of Motor Vehicles with my dad, the last thing I remember and what I call topside, which is this reality with which we're now speaking, was turning to my dad and saying, you know, something about not feeling well. I want to sit down, but there weren't any chairs. I have to tell you what my dad said, because I don't have any memory of this event beyond what my near-death experience is. But uh, apparently I collapsed. A uniformed nurse was walking by. We were leaving the building. I collapsed outside onto the sidewalk. She couldn't get a pulse. The precursor to 911 was called, which in that time, especially in the Midwest, in the state of Kansas anyway, was a call to the volunteer fire department and a separate call to a hospital for an ambulance and no coordination. So the uh, Shawnee Mission, Kansas, volunteer fire department came. 
and that would be my home. According to my dad, they had a new portable ventilator. Packaging had to be pulled off. They weren't expecting, you know, dead girl on a sidewalk either. So they fussed with that for a bit, applied the mask over my face, creating a seal. This particular portable ventilator might have been called the Anderson ventilator for those who have been in medicine for a long, long time. It had two features, one to ventilate, of course, and also though one to vacuum, because if uh, something was obstructing the airway, all the resuscitation in the world would not matter. Any obstruction would have to be removed, and it was removed through air. As it turns out, I needed air in, not out, but it was on the vacuum mode. I keep thinking of jokes with you two. You're inspiring me to be funny. I had the life sucked out of me, but I really <laughs> did. <laughs> but, I, but I did. Yeah. But wow. gosh. So the firefighters knew something was terribly wrong. They flicked the switch, pumped the air in. My lungs probably had come in contact with themselves, and they're sticky suckers. So if that happens, lungs have to be expanded in an intensive care unit situation, most usually with a ventilator and slowly and methodically. This was a blast of air. My lungs couldn't take it. The air made its way to my skin, the outside of me, and I blew up like a balloon. It's oh, called geez. epithelial emphysema. Again, most often fatal. Not funny. Not funny yet. You know. <laughs> uh, no, that part. And my, you know, I have to say my dad, this was trauma for him the rest of his life. You know, oh, I'm the yeah. oldest child to watch this. It was, I can't imagine as a parent now. So the guys anyway. sent to revive you were killing you even further. <laughs> yeah, but they... They didn't mean to. They were earnestly no, no, killing right, me right, even no. further. Their, their hearts were in it. They were right. really like not happy. Right. So then they turned to my dad and said, I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do. Uh, a man unknown to anybody came forward, pushing people aside because now there's a crowd swearing a lot, I guess, knelt down and did what we call mouth to mouth resuscitation. Then he quit and said, I'm not getting a blankety blank blank thing. My dad's memory pretty much ends there, picks up again when the ambulance from St. Luke's Hospital in Kansas City, Missouri, closest place, arrived. Uh, my body was put in the back. I was breathing on my own by then. My dad remembers a big cheer. He jumped into the back of the ambulance. Off we went. Things went sour again in the emergency room, I guess. But I hate to give away the ending to a good book, but... She lived. She lived. <laughs> yeah. But where did she go in the yeah. meantime? To get back to life, there was a tour. Mm. I remember hearing a woman's voice to my left saying, I'm not getting a pulse. I'm not getting a pulse. That must have been the nurse, because according to my dad, that's exactly what she was saying. And I felt like I was talking to her, telling her that, um, you know, of course, you're getting a pulse. Otherwise, I wouldn't be speaking here. She ignored me. I don't know if I got into a near-death snit or just what, but I released all of that. I, I let go in a way that... I have a hard time explaining in words, but it was a letting go. And I believe that's part of our natural dying process. If it isn't trauma, you know, sudden or unexpected, when we just kind of die naturally, we let go. I was in then a foggy place. It was warm and comfortable. I knew I wasn't alone, but I couldn't see who I was with because of all the fog. And I felt emotionally, distinctively, I might add, that I was where I was supposed to be comfortably waiting for something. And it would be as if I was, you know, at a metro stop waiting for the bus. But I knew it was going to come because there was a schedule. And for people who are afraid of death or are afraid their loved ones suffered, there is peace. 
when biblically it states it's the peace that passeth all understanding, I'm telling you, it's there. It's just a peace. It was wonderful. But then, this is the hardest part for me to describe, so underneath me burst a light, a light so bright, I say it was like brighter than a million suns, but Honestly, Julie and Penny, I have not seen a million suns. So, you know, journalistic honesty here, but yet it seemed that way. It came up under me, spread in all directions. It was all love and it was personal. It felt like it was love for me, Kim. It spread out in all directions, plus simultaneously layered on itself. And again, I can't underscore the love. And yet the the spreading out, which I could see, and I didn't have eyeballs. I'm assuming they were still in my body, but I could see, and I felt like I was beholding eternity, that it was linear, and I was being shown it all in the form of light. This is why it's hard to explain. Yeah. And that, that layering, I somehow came to understand that those were dimensions, mm-hmm. and, and those were pretty endless too. So complicated in the afterlife very complicated, and yet so simple because it's about love. Wow. We are talking with the amazing Kimberly Clark Sharp expert, for lack of a better word, on a different kind of life after our bodies go. So you came back. Was it a choice? How'd that happen? That's debatable. Uh, Other (laughs) things happened, like I was shown heaven, literally off to my right, and how beautiful it was. I had a conversation with uh, this light, which most people would say God, but I don't prefer that. I, but it's a point of reference. It was my creator. I would say that. Then I did not want to go when, quote unquote, heaven, I was literally told, this is your heaven. It was a portal off to my right. And frankly, it looked like a Kentucky calendar scene. And there was meadows of beautiful green grass and small fence in the background, small trees. And when skeptics say, oh, near-death experiencers get what they expect, I was not expecting Kentucky. (laughs) I was going to say I have yet to visit, too. Yeah, well. (laughs) I mean, I've never even been to Kentucky. (laughs) Not the best place to go these days, but we're not going to get into politics But it was there. It was that heaven. So to answer your question, Julie, uh, did I decide to come back or not? I would say no. And uh, that which was showing me my future would say I chose, but I was going to go through the portal to heaven when this, what I will call God, I don't, you know, I just, it's such a lame word, letters, language, nothing encompasses what I'm trying to describe. But uh, I saw a flash of light and I was shown and told if I chose to come back to life, this is where I would be living. And it was a place, all I remember was where mountains met water. Sure wasn't Kansas. No. And then I, I rejected it. I was going to go off to heaven. And then another flash, and there was like a gallery of portraits with identifications under them in English. I could read, but no names, just positions like best friend, next door neighbor, co-worker, if I chose to live. Well, they were strangers, meant nothing to me. So I'm off like Jackie Gleason, away we go to heaven. <laughs> there was another flash, and it was of me being of service. And I said, cool. And I was back. So for me, I wasn't volunteering to come back. I was using cool as an adjective, but God was using it as an action item. And my joke is God must have been a hippie because, you know, cool, man, was yes. (laughs) And so I was back. 
Wow. Uh, yeah, the people say, oh, I wish I could have a near-death experience. I wouldn't be afraid of death. And, but no, you don't. There are physical ramifications to this that I wouldn't wish on anybody. The body has to recover. Mine did just fine. And I went off to find this place where mountains melt water. What I had, I now know, because I am an expert in this field, is what's called a life preview. And it's very rare. But I have lived long enough to have fulfilled all that I saw, mm. and then some. So I don't understand how the future can be writ, so to speak. But yet, in my case, it seemed to be. I stepped into that future effortlessly, thought it was crazy. That was another, you know, mentally not there, but spiritually and emotionally, I knew it was right. And it was because I can look back on my life and see that my life of service has, again, more than been fulfilled. And without me lifting a finger, frankly, to get a job, every job I've ever had, I've been asked to apply for and have received. But then the work within those jobs, which has been in the field of death and dying, you know, not always easy, but very rewarding. I've been very happy also to be a part of reducing people's grief mm-hmm. if you know there's been the loss of a loved one, you know, and then validating other near-death experiencers or people who've had spiritual transformative experiences without being in physical danger. It's, it's been good. So the question that you have to answer that's so obvious is, do you fear death now? No, no, no. But uh, dying that's a different subject. There's ways I do not want to die. Mm-hmm. Penny, you know, like violence, pain, you know, just like everyone else, let me slip away in my own bed surrounded by loved ones. Oh, she died peacefully. We all want that. <laughs> That's right? what we want. But right. death itself, no, because I felt like like life is kind of a dress rehearsal for the afterlife in a way. Mm-hmm. What we do here matters tremendously, uh, but then the curtain has to fall at some time. Right. I mean, so our did bodies you feel, don't last forever. Did you feel that your work wasn't done? That's the message you got, is that you had a calling to go back and serve. That was the vision that you had. Yes. There was that message to you. Because you hear about spirit guides, you know, I've read a lot of books like Many Lives, Many Masters, you know, Kubler-Ross, etc. And they talk about going into this space after death where your spirit guides meet with you and give you choices about do you want to go back? What else do you need to learn? Do you feel like you've accomplished this? Are you ready for the next level? Does that resonate at all? That sort of... Well, it, it does professionally. When near-death experiencers meet others, sometimes it's spirit guides, sometimes it's deceased loved ones, sometimes it's deceased pets. Oh, good. Oh, good. Our pets yeah. are going to be there. Oh, oh, yeah. I got... Listen, that's another broadcast I have... Oh. I have a whole I have a whole lecture about pets. That's oh, that oh, is huge. Let's, oh. Yes, we'll do that for sure because yes. that's mostly who I want to see again. Oh, I have, <laughs> the news is good, Julie. Even horses. Oh, even oh, horses. Oh, yeah. Oh. Uh, even even bumblebees, field mice. Oh okay. my gosh, it's a big subject. But oh, okay. Penny, to get back to what your point was, I could drag this interview all over the map right well, now. We'll do another podcast that. with you on animals <laughs> yeah, after death. We'll do the animal yeah. one. But I want to answer Penny about whatever it was you asked. We were talking about the spirit guides and oh, the yeah, fact yeah, yeah. that there are similarities. Yeah. Okay, you so know. no one's, I said, no one stands alone in the afterlife. And one is not alone. There are people or things greeting. Sometimes they are, the things are what you're talking about, like spirit guides or just lacking a definition. For me, 
I didn't see anyone other than like God. I went right to the source. <laughs> I'm so impatient. Yeah. Let me through. Yeah. When my number's up, I want to be number one. So <laughs> I didn't see guides or anything until after I came back. And since I've been back, I call it uh, a consternation, but most of the time a tremendous shocking gift to be able to see deceased people or mm. spirit guides or what mm -hmm. we call angels or what we call scary things. Or, so or we, we get signs. We get, we get signs from our deceased loved ones. By the way, I have been talking a lot about that six-part series, Surviving Death. And there you are in part one, no surprise. <laughs> uh, on near-death experiences, brilliant as always, and compelling. And a lot of the people in this series, which is on Netflix, by the way, and I think very much worth watching, a lot of people refer to, they get signals like feathers are left, or they'll ask for a sign from their deceased, and they, they often get them. Do you believe that those signs are often authentic, or do you think we manifest it? We want to see it so we somehow make honestly, it honestly yeah honestly julie both could be true you know if you're looking for a brown rock on a white beach your you know your your, your awareness once one's awareness uh is going to be focused but just to be walking along and boom knowing that you're hearing from a deceased loved one mm -hmm. i get pennies from heaven i've had three phone calls from the deceased in my life on what? your cell phone yeah, well, the, <laughs> we're talking about deceased people, okay, yeah, know, which um, for some is is tricky, but not for me. Yes, it seems like electricity and the telephone are ways that from what we call the other side, from death, there are ways to communicate. And flickering lights tells me either my own energy is causing electrical problems or someone's around. Oh, that's incredible. My my One of my dearest friends lost a son. And he flickers the lights all the time in this cabinet that, you know, they ch checked it for a short and I was there and saw it and I, I wouldn't have believed it. She took pictures of it. I thought, okay, well, there's just a short in this old cabinet and no, no, they're, and this, they never turn it on. They never turn it off. It's just, and now it just goes bang, 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 it flickers and you know, stays on and it goes off then it goes on. I mean, it's just. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh I would say that is someone uh, trying to communicate with my own father's death, the same father that witnessed mine, what, what became a near-death experience. When he died, my family's very traditional and large. On the evening of the funeral of the deceased loved one, gather in a circle and talk about them. And no one enjoyed that more than my father. <laughs> <laughs> and so we spent an evening just you know reminiscing as a family about the person that had passed. And when we started talking about my dad, all the lights in the house went out on basement, second floor, and main floor where the circle was, except for one light above the sink. Now, electrically, that's impossible because electricity doesn't work that way. But something was shutting down all the lights. And I have a cousin who's a neurosurgeon, for some reason, always carries a bag and a flashlight. And he went down, he goes, this is fine down here. And he messed around. Finally, the lights came back on, except for this one light above the sink. And that is where my dad would begin and end his days in prayer. Because oh. he liked looking out, there's a meadow in the back and, and birds and, and things that he loved. And that was his spot. Wow. So that was inexplicable. And I've got a million more stories, ladies. But Oh, yeah. I know. I know. Can I just I, share, I, can I share a quick story? 
uh, with you two about my daughter, uh, Mara, who died just after her 19th birthday in 2012. And she was working her AA program and she had a hard time kind of accepting the higher power concept because she wasn't truly religious girl, but searching for that, you know, you have to have a higher power to work in AA program. And so she finally, she and I talked and I said, you know, there's lots of forms of higher power besides a deity, for example. I said, there's the power of your ancestors, the collective power, you know, knowledge and higher power of that. There's also nature, which I believe is a higher power. And I said, you know, I don't think it's an accident to me that the inside of a chambered nautilus shell is the exact same design as our spiral galaxy. It's called a logarithmic spiral. And she really liked that. And she had drawn spirals all of her life. And since she was a tiny child, in every piece of artwork, there are spirals. And it was one of the last entries into her journal when she died. She drew a spiral, which I have a tattoo of on my foot. I digress. But anyway, after she died, I was with a friend who was trying to have a penny healing week. It wasn't long after she passed. And I looked down at my cell phone and the wallpaper on my phone had turned into a galaxy, a spiral turning, turning with sparkles all over it. And it was moving. It was a moving wallpaper. And I went, I was with my friend. I said, did you do this to my phone when I wasn't looking? And she goes, what are you talking about? And I said, look what's on my phone. What is, what is that? She goes, I have no idea. I was, I was sure. I was sure it had to have come from her. Of course. And then about, I told my ex-husband about it and he said, oh, I wish, I wish, I wish I could have something like that happen. And I said, you've just got to sort of open your heart and trust and, and, and want to believe that it can happen. And I think it will. Four days later, he woke up on a Sunday morning and he had the same thing on his phone. Well, that's, wow. that's, that's validation. Yeah. There it is. I would, I would say that's not an accident. No. It's impossible for it's, it to be uh, it is. anything but what you're identifying. I want to remind people we're talking to Kimberly Clark Sharp, who's giving us hope and inspiration that there is uh, another realm we go to after we leave our bodies. I was talking to you, Kim, about this. We are not our bodies. Well, we are because we're wearing them and we're operating the system. And again, this needs to be done respectfully and carefully. These are our bodies. We need to take care of our bodies. But all near-death experiences are out-of-body experiences. I mean, that's I haven't talked to anyone who remained inside and mm-hmm. still had all these mm. experiences. I just mm. haven't heard it myself. And I've talked to a lot of near-death experiencers. But in my own experience, part of my near-death experience I actually didn't reference was when I was sent back, I, I missed my body by about the same amount of feet that I missed the curb at the DMV when I was trying to get a you license. Missed, you missed your body? You missed your body. <laughs> you know, mission failed. <laughs> okay. But anyway, spatial challenges happened. I saw myself. That was me, but it wasn't me. The me that was me was looking at that body. That person that I identify with was not in that body Mm. at all. But I also wanted to get to it because I didn't want to be floating around. I mean, I I just, I didn't know what to do. And that uh, good Samaritan, I told you that had done mouth to mouth. Mm -hmm. um, I saw him because when his mouth bent down and touched the body's mouth, that helped draw me back. Also, he loved me. I was a stranger, but he was acting out of compassion, which is a very strong sort, you know, kind of love. So that drew me back in. But Julie, to make your point, 
my spiritual self, that which was invisible and yet present, was bigger than the flesh body. And when I'm asked in a lecture or an interview, what's it like to have an out-of-body experience and come back? I say, what's it like to have an out-of-body experience and come back? Well, it's like the genie in Aladdin. (laughs) When Aladdin said, what's it like to be a genie? And the genie says, oh, all the powers of the universe, itty-bitty living space. (laughs) <laughs> so we are we are the genies yeah. our bodies are the bottles I love yeah, we're here we're, yeah. this is where we're supposed to live this is by design but when we're out we are bigger than this containment so for those who have experienced a near-death experience who've been through it such as yourself and you you have to come well you don't have to but you're back and you are living now in your shell your body again and you're interacting with people who, perhaps a spouse, children, friends who don't get it, right? Who who haven't had that experience. Does that cause a lot of relationship issues, separation of feeling like I just can't relate in this job or to these people who seem, you know, so caught up and trivial, nonsensical, meaningless things? Has a near-death experience affected a lot of people's lives in a tough way? Absolutely. There's been very little research on this subject, but headcount-wise, it seems that about 50% of marriages end because people change so much. One of my patients, I used to be a social worker at Harborview Medical Center in Seattle, Washington, on the intensive care unit and coronary care unit. And once a fellow came up and he was pretty much admitted dead. I mean, he had the color of a turnip. His family hated him. I went to comfort them and they were doing a happy dance because he was physically abusive, emotionally abusive. He was just a mean junkyard dog kind of guy who so mean he used to like throw partially consumed cans of beer. He'd hook around his finger and lob them at children who, you know, get off my lawn kind of thing. Nice guy. Anyway, not not a nice fellow. Well, he had a near-death experience, changed completely, became the father that his adult children always wanted. He was also immediately sober and his wife divorced him. Because her husband was the mean, drunk man, abusing man. And this nice guy was not her husband. She didn't want him. So that happens too. Or, you know, just people make changes that are are just different. They're nicer. Not everybody likes a nicer person. But yeah, relationships do potentially suffer. But in terms of being believed, that's all across the board. For some people, no problem. For others, big problem. Doctors in the past, when I first started the Seattle International Association for Near-Death Studies in Seattle, it was 1982, doctors were still institutionalizing or at least sending to psychiatric services people who were describing what we call a near-death experience. Pastors were condemning the near-death experiencer in many instances. It was a mess, but it was a job for a social worker named Kim. And that's what I've I've pulled from my big background in the field of death and dying, both academically at the University of Washington and clinically on the ground in various medical centers in the Seattle area. Pulling from all of that has led to me with all the right initials after my name and what society would call a successful lifestyle. You know, only have one husband in my life. You know, wow, child what's wrong who with loves you? me, yeah, you know. Yeah. It's a grounded good life. Yeah. And I can represent for those people that aren't getting that from their own loved ones or medical systems 
or religious systems. That's what brings a lot of people to the Seattle Ions group, that validation and peer support. But there's less of that necessary now than there was 41 years ago. So it's not an uncommon experience around the world. No, no, it's staggeringly common. I like to travel internationally when possible, and I like to ask about the subject in different cultures if there's someone who can explain. And I've never come up with a note, never heard of it in any country. But cultures can absorb this differently. Even in the United States, there are subcultures that are just fine with the subject. The Mormon church, just fine. The black community, for the most part, just fine. Asians, not so fine, but it's a culture based in in personal privacy. And I'm not Asian, but I'm told by Asian near-death experiencers that I would like to throw on TV or on podcasts or in front of the group at Seattle Alliance. And it's like, no, not going to happen, Kim. That's cultural. If you're human, if you have a belly button, you are a candidate to have a near-death experience. (laughs) (laughs) In all of your incredible research and life and conversations and teaching. Are we all connected? I think we can feel it. At least at my age, I haven't met anyone, I think, who never met someone and felt a vibe or a knowing. A knowing. What if that's a bad vibe? (laughs) Well, there's that. that. That means there's a lesson ahead. I'm just thinking politically, you know, of some bad vibes I've gotten from certain people. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I would say back away from them because they're on their own journey. And, you know, I'm not suggesting anyone reside in toxicity. But back to love. Love helps elevate lots of things. So when you meet someone with a bad vibe, loving them is possible and it can be effective. Years ago, when I was cuter and younger, I uh, You're was still getting... cute. You have a nice shell. Yeah. <laughs> I have a bigger shell than I did, but uh, thank well, you. And a grayer shell. Yeah, me too, uh, babe. Yeah. But I was getting uh, gas in Seattle, pulled away, and a young man chased after me and said, you've got a flat tire. So I pulled into an alley, got out of my car. I didn't have a flat tire, but I looked up and there he was. And I knew oh. that assault was the goal. It was a dark alley. I mean, I couldn't believe it. And he was approaching me with very ill intent. And something came over me and I said, God loves you so much. And I meant it with my whole heart. And I kept saying, God loves you so much. God loves you so much. I loved this man. I loved him. And it stopped him short with shock, not the reaction he was expecting. And that gave me enough time to jump into my car and wheel away. So no, I wasn't going to stay in his bad vibe. Wow. But loving him, he felt the connection. I know he did between us. Mm. I know he remembers me to this day if he's still alive. And I certainly remember him. That's why loving everyone is so important, even if we don't like them. Everyone's got their own story. Everyone's got their own life lessons. Some people are trying to overcome being a jerk. Some people aren't even making the effort to overcome being a jerk. Other people are devoted. It's humanity. It's Mm -hmm. humanity. But if we love, that's the bottom line. And that being that I was with in that light was love. And it was unconditional, which means that if I'm going to emulate that love, which is what I want to do, because frankly, I want to get back to heaven. I, I'm hoping I'm doing a good job, but I I just suggest that people be open-hearted. Even if you don't like that person, at least try to rise above it with your feelings of emotion and send them love. It costs sending the love nothing. And then remove yourself if it's 
not a comfortable situation. That's a beautiful message and a great way to wrap up this incredible conversation. But Kimberly, we're going to have you back to talk more about our pets. Yes. Um, which I'm excited to learn more about that. And yeah. at some point too, I want to talk to you more about some of the things I saw in this Netflix series too, which talks about the more scientific part of brain activity. Yes. So we can get back into that too, because we could just go on and on with this topic for, for hours and hours. Well, we, yeah, I, I indeed can yeah. address that. And a lot more. Yeah. So lots to share. Yeah. We'll, we'll have you back and leaving us with the message that we need to be our best selves while we're here in these bodies. It's a place to start within our own hearts. You're doing good work. You're, You're going doing... to heaven again. I hope so. I'll see you all there. Yeah. International <laughs> Association for Near-Death Studies yes. is an yeah. organization. We'll put uh, the link uh, on Facebook and Instagram pages and your book. Uh, which oh, is thank you incredible. for that. Yeah. yeah. And what a great, uplifting, wonderful way to end this conversation today. Try to find grace and love for all the people who bug the shit out of you. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Kimberly. We love you. We love you. Thank you so much. Let's remind everybody where we can be found. We're on Instagram and also on Facebook. And we also have an email address that you can write to us. And you might want to think about a question you would have for our guest, Kimberly Clark Sharp, who is an expert on near-death experiences. If you've had one or you know someone or you want to ask a question, we'll be interviewing her again. So here's that email. Write it down. Couple of dusty muffins at gmail. Dot com. One more time, it's spelled C-O-U-P-L-A, Cupla, Dusty Muffins at gmail.com. Now, you know, we have no clue how to edit this show, so we just talk and Clem Daniels puts it all together. Thanks, Clem. 